So we're going to uh, end our time with, we've already looked at being faithful in trials, being faithful with our tongue, being faithful to obey, and now we're going to look at being faithful in our friendships, to have biblical friendships, which I hope you have at least one. In fact, several years ago, somebody said to me a statement I have not forgotten. She said, Susan, if you have one true friend in your lifetime, you are indeed blessed. With that in mind, we might ask the question as we open our final session, what is a friend? What is a friend? Well, in the human realm, we might define it like this way, and I found this, the A through Z of friendship. A accepts you as you are, B, believes in you, C, calls you just to say hi, D, doesn't give up on you, E, envisions the whole of you, even the unfinished parts, F, forgives your mistakes, G, gives unconditionally, H, helps you, I, invites you over, J, just want to be with you, K, keeps you close at heart, L, loves you for who you are, M, makes a difference in your life, N, never judges, O, offers supports, P, picks you up, Q, quiets your fears, R, raises your spirits, S, says nice things about you, T, tells you the truth when you need to hear it, U, understands you, V, values you, W, walks beside you, X explains things you don't understand, Y yells when you won't listen, and Z zaps you back to reality. (laughs) Now, actually, those are pretty good qualities for a friend, aren't they? But ladies, have you ever stopped to think about how Jesus defines a friend? What does the Bible say about this topic, and especially when we think about biblical friendships? And uh, we will see some of those qualities in this session, but we're going to see things are just a little bit tad differently. Um, We could have gone to a lot of places. We could have looked at Jonathan and David's friendship. We could have gone to several biblical friendships. But I thought for our time together as we close, being a faithful woman in a faithless age, we would look at a very warm epistle and look at the friendship, the relationship between Paul and Timothy. And as we do this, we're going to look at six qualities in a friend that I think you would be wise in choosing your friends because, as I mentioned, uh, I know a lot of women who have fallen spiritually just due to the friends they keep. You know, uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, bad company corrupts good morals. And so if you don't, be sure that the people you hang out with the most are godly women Uh, you're going to find yourself in trouble, especially as our world becomes more corrupt. And we know it will because the Bible says evil men will become worse and worse. So all these qualities for a friend start with the letter S, and so hopefully it will be easy for you to remember. So in order to look at this relationship and what we want to look for in a friendship, let's turn to Philippians 2, Philippians 2, and we're going to look at verses 19 through 24 in this session Philippians 2 19 to 24 notice what Paul says he says but I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy shortly to you that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state for I have no one like-minded who will naturally care for your state all are seeking their own not the things which are Jesus's but you know the proof of him that as a son with the father he served with me in the gospel 
Him therefore I hope to send presently as soon as I shall see how it will go with me. But I trust in the Lord Jesus that I myself will come shortly. Now, as we start with verse 17, Paul uses a word, but, which is often a contrast. And we don't have time to uh, get into all of the background of Philippians or what is going on. But just basically, Paul is in Rome in prison. He's chained to a guard. He knows that soon he might be beheaded by Nero. And he knows that his life is one of a continual sacrifice. He mentions that in the previous verses. And so when he uses the word, but, here, it's a word of contrast. And he knew that his life was one of continual sacrifice. He knew that literally his life may become soon a physical sacrifice by Nero beheading him. But even though Paul says this, even though I face dangers, even though I know my blood might be poured out literally, he says, I still hope, look, I still hope, I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy shortly to you. Um, And it's interesting that Paul mentions here that he hopes in the Lord because, ladies, anything we hope to do in this life should be if the Lord wills, right? James, that we already just left, uh, he says that, uh, come now, you who say today or tomorrow we're going to go here and go there and such a city and buy and sell and get gain. He says, you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. You ought to say, what? If the Lord wills, we will do this and we will do that. And so... uh, James' brother Paul realizes that as well. And so this is, he mentions Timothy here, and this is not the first time that he mentions Timothy in this epistle. In fact, he mentions Timothy 18 times in this little epistle of Philippians. And so we need to ask the question, before we look at their friendship and their relationship and the six qualities that we also want to look for in getting a friend, uh, we need to figure out how they met. You know, who is this Timothy? Um, We know that Paul and Barnabas met Timothy on their first missionary journey. And on that first missionary journey, uh, Timothy was converted to the gospel. And let me say this before we go on. Isn't that a great way to start a friendship? I mean, go out and share the gospel with someone. And then they come to faith in Christ and then you become best buds. Isn't that great? So I think that's a great way to start a friendship. Remember, Timothy was chosen by Paul in his second missionary journey uh, to accompany him because, remember, he was well spoken of. Um, We also know he had a great grandmother and a mother, um, Lois and Eunice, that instructed him in the ways of the Lord. We know his father was not a Christian. His father was a Greek. But I think this should encourage you as mothers uh, and grandmothers that you can have a great impact on your children. And who knows if uh, one of us isn't raising a Timothy, wouldn't that be great? And so Paul calls him here his dearly beloved son. Um, In fact, uh, he calls him this often. He often talks about Timothy, his beloved son, his dearly beloved son. And the things like that. So he tells the church at Philippi, he says, I hope to send him shortly. Um, Not immediately. I mean, remember, Paul's getting ready to face trial. He's probably going to be beheaded by Nero. And so he says, I'm not going to send him to you right now, but I am going to send him to you shortly. And we know indeed that he eventually did. So the first quality I think that we see here of a genuine friend when we look at Timothy, especially his friendship with Paul, is one who has a servant's heart. One who has a servant's heart. Paul said, I trust in the Lord to send Timothy shortly to you. Now, ladies, if you know anything, and I wish we had time to look at uh, Acts and we look at First and Second Timothy and some of those passages, but we don't. 
But you know what I found about Timothy? He was willing to go wherever Paul needed him to go. He was willing to be a servant. And I'm sure Timothy, you know, his his mentor is right there in prison. He wants to stay with him. He wants to stick with him to the end. But Paul says, no, I'm going to send you shortly. You need to go back at the church at Philippi, see how they're doing. And so Timothy was willing to go. And the reason was because no one else would go. In verse 21, look, they all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. And so there were others that could go back to Philippi, but Timothy was the only one who was willing. And, uh, you know, that's one of the qualities of love, according to 1 Corinthians 13. Love does not seek its own. It does not seek its own. And Paul has already said in this epistle in Philippians that we don't look out for our own interests, but we look out for the interest of others. And so, ladies, I think this should cause us to examine our hearts um, when we consider this passage, because when we're thinking about biblical friendship, it's not that you give in to your friend all the time. But, you know, some of us, we kind of bristle. Uh, when our friend asks us to do something and, you know, we don't, or even our husband asks us to do something. And by the way, he should be uh, one of your good friends. And so we don't want to accommodate someone else, but not Timothy. In fact, uh, I have to tell a story on Debbie one time because I always look at her as a Timothy to me because we've been traveling now for about 13 years together. And I've asked her to do some pretty weird things on the road. But one, one, one thing really comes out really clear. And we were in uh, Florida, I think it was, and we had an early morning flight to catch. So I said, Debbie, you, you know, get everything straightened up in here that we need to do. I'm going to go downstairs and get the elevator cart and I'll be back up. So I went downstairs. It was like 4.30 in the morning. There was no hotel clerk or anything. And I get that cart that I'm going to put on the elevator. And as about the time I'm getting ready to do it, these two men come in and they're drunk. And so they get into the elevator and then they start doing this to me, like, come on in. And I'm like, I ain't coming in there. So I leave the elevator cart, go down the hall, go upstairs. But I think we were on the second or third floor. I don't know. Do you remember, Deb, if we were on the second or third floor where we were? Third floor. Yeah. So I walk in. She goes, where's the elevator cart? I said, it's downstairs in the lobby and we're going to go down there. We're going to go down all three flights of stairs. And then we're going to carry it up. She said, we're going to do what? And I said, well, there's two men in the elevator. They're very drunk. And I said, I don't, there's no hotel clerk down there. And I said, I don't feel very safe. So she said, only for you, but I do this. So we did. We went downstairs, got the cart, dragged it up three flights of stairs. And eventually when we opened the elevator, they were gone. I was very thankful. But uh, anyway, that's the way Timothy was. Wherever Paul wanted to send him, whatever, you know, he would do it. Now, there was a reason Paul wanted to send Timothy to them. Notice what he says. So that I can be encouraged when I know your state. So I can be encouraged and be of good comfort when I know your state. It isn't an interesting. Paul doesn't mention himself here at all. I'm going to send Timothy so he can tell you how bad things are here in prison for me. He can tell you about me being chained to a Roman soldier. He can tell you that I hardly have any food or water in this place. But not Paul. He doesn't say that at all. He said, I'm going to send Timothy because I want to know how you are. I want to know how you're doing. Remember, Paul started the church at Philippi. In fact, the word encourage comes from a word well or good or the word soul. You know what Paul's saying? My soul will be comforted. My soul will be well when I hear about how you all are doing. Ladies, Paul was a man that was concerned about his spiritual children. He was concerned for them. And that should be the heart of each of us. 
And I think Paul and Timothy are certainly contrast to most in our culture that care only about themselves. Uh, we are such a narcissistic culture. I cannot. I saw a T-shirt recently that said uh, it was a, a girl's T-shirt, and it said, "He offered me the world, and I said I have my own." And I thought, isn't that our culture? You know, it's all. In fact, there was a Christian conference in the last couple of. I think it was the last decade or so in Tulsa. It was at a Christian university. I use that term lightly. And it was a Christian woman's conference. And the conference theme was, it's all about me. And I thought, boy, if that doesn't describe our culture, it's all about me. Well, not Paul and Timothy. It wasn't. They were concerned. Timothy was concerned for Paul. Paul's concerned for the church at Philippi. Ladies, we've all been around people who merely want to talk about themselves, never taking an interest in others, and that can be very difficult at times. In fact, I remember uh, as a pastor's wife, you know, I try to greet all the new people that come in, and several years ago there was a new family that came to our church, and I went up to her and I said, Hi, my name is Susan Heck, I'm the pastor's wife, and she goes, Hi, I'm so-and-so, and I can't wait for you to get to know me. And I'm like, okay, that was a really weird thing to say, but... You know, that was a little little bit of a red flag. And, you know, I found it true. For the next 10 years, I got to know her. Eventually, she was a part of a big old mess in our church, and there ended up being church discipline, not with her, but should have been. And, I mean, that's all I heard for the next 10 years. Her, her, her. It's all about her. Ladies, that's really hard to be around people like that. But not Paul and Timothy. Timothy's concerned for Paul. Paul's concerned for the church at Philippi. Well, Paul goes on in verse 20 to let us in on the second reason that Timothy was such a good friend. I have no one like-minded who will naturally care for your state. Paul begins by telling them no one else is like-minded with him but Timothy. Interesting word here. It comes from two Greek words, equal and soul. So it means Paul and Timothy were activated by the same motives. They were one in soul, one in spirit, and one in character. Their souls were equal. Ladies, the second quality then of a biblical friend would be one who is a soulmate. A soulmate. One who has the same goal, same soul, same heart, same motives in life, same goals. In fact, this reminds me of two other men in Scripture that I mentioned a while ago, David and Jonathan. Listen to what 1 Samuel 18.1 says about these two men. It says, now, when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Jonathan and David were soulmates. In fact, remember when Jonathan dies, David writes this lament. It's it's very grieving, and it says in 2 Samuel 1.23, Saul and Jonathan were beloved and pleasant in their lives, and in their death they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. O daughter of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you in scarlet with luxury, who wrapped ornaments of gold on your apparel. How the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle. Jonathan was slain in high places. I'm distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. You've been very pleasant to me. Your love to me was wonderful, surpassing the love of women. And no, they were not homosexual, as some have tried to prove. They were knit together in soul. They had one goal, one mind, one heart. For the nation of Israel. Ladies, that is a beautiful description of a friend, a soulmate. As my mentor well put it, if you have one friend like that in your lifetime, you're fortunate. If you have one friend that is a soulmate. 
Well, Timothy was not only like-minded with the Apostle Paul, but notice what else he says. He says he will sincerely care for your state. And ladies, that is the third quality of a genuine friend. They're selfless. (laughs) They're selfless. Not selfish. Selfless. This describes someone who not only cares for you, but they care for others. Ladies, listen to me very carefully. If you have a woman friend or even a husband that only cares for you and is possessive and jealous, that should be a red flag. I've had women friends like that. Uh, They don't want me being with anybody else. That is not God honoring. That's a selfish, possessive love. In fact, this type of love is condemned in 1 Corinthians 13. Paul says love does not envy. It doesn't envy. And so if you have a possessive friend... I would caution you about that because they should be concerned for others. They should not be selfish. Love gives. It doesn't doesn't look to get. It gives. And so be leery of possessive relationships that don't want you ministering to others. In fact, when I first started traveling and teaching, uh, we weren't in the church we're in now, but uh, we were in a different church. My husband was pastoring. And uh, I remember one woman came up to me and she goes, so are you just going to forget about us as you go around travel and teach? And I was like, wow, that's a really weird thing to say. And I said, no. I said, my responsibility here at this church is my primary. You women are my primary responsibility. Anything that else the Lord allows is just, you know, more opportunities to serve him. But ladies, we should be leery of people that are possessive in relationships. We should want others to enjoy the gifts of those that we love. Timothy was sincere. He was selfless. He was sincere in, the, in that he had concern for the needs of others and their peop- and the people. In fact, Timothy had been with Paul on that first missionary journey to Philippi. Remember, he was instrumental in helping Paul chart, uh, start the church at Philippi. And so it would be only natural that he would care for the people there. You might say, well, why would Paul want to send Timothy? I mean, why would he want to send him back to Philippi? Wasn't Wasn't he dependent on him there in prison? Could he really afford to spare him at this time of need? Well, it is apparent that Paul did indeed try to send someone else to check on them. But notice verse 21. All are seeking their own, not the things which are Christ Jesus. In fact, the phrase for all seek their own is in reference to the others who were with Paul and Timothy at this time. There is a speculation. uh, It's not biblical, but there's a speculation according to church history that Paul actually wanted others to visit Philippi along with Timothy, but many of them declined. They didn't want to go. If you know anything, it was an 800-mile journey from Rome to Philippi. And as I mentioned earlier, the average traveler could only walk about 20 miles per day. And there was a lot of dangers. Remember, Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians. There's dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, and there's, you know, the, the even bears and wolves would attack the travelers. They could be robbed by thieves. And so uh, who wants to do that? Who wants to go to an 800-mile journey, go back to Philippi and see how they're doing? Who wants the possibility of getting being attacked by a bear or a wolf who wants the who wants the uh, you know the possibility of a thief robbing you and so all these other people that were there with paul at this time they didn't want to go all were seeking their own not the things which were christ jesus ladies timothy was in sharp contrast to the ones that paul mentions here beware of people who appear to be righteous 
and yet do not seek the cause of Christ in his kingdom. Beware of that. Beware of people who are not willing to practice self-denial. One man says, no wonder people have so little joy. Joy comes in giving of yourself to others. The more selfish we are, the less we experience real joy. Why is it so hard to learn that lesson? The answer is simple, because we're so selfish and self-centered, we just don't see it. In fact, I think this should be America's slogan. All seek their own, don't you? I mean, that's the, instead of in God we trust on our coinage, because we don't trust in him anymore, right? All seek their own. That's pretty much the United States of America. In fact, I like what Warren Wearsby says. He says, in a very real sense, we either live Philippians 1.21 or 2.21. You know what 1.21 says? For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. What does 2.21 say? All seek their own. So either you're living for Christ or you are seeking your own way. However, before we go on, Paul is gracious. I like that about Paul. I need to learn from him. He doesn't mention who these guys are. You know, I, you know, maybe he studied James and he's like, ah, I can't use my tongue for that. But Paul covers their sin. You know, he doesn't say, well, this guy didn't want to go and this guy didn't want to go. and This guy didn't want to go. Only Timothy would go. But Paul doesn't do that. Well, Timothy had a servant's heart. He was a soulmate of Paul's and he was selfless. And if that isn't enough, Paul goes on to mention a fourth quality of Timothy, his true friend in verse 22. You know, the proof of him that is a son with the father, he has served with me in the gospel. Paul says, you guys know this. Timothy, help me start this church. You guys know his character. You know his proven character. He's genuine. He's trustworthy. Ladies, this is the fourth quality of a true friend. Sincere. Sincere. Genuine. Real. Timothy was genuine. He was a man with no hypocrisy. You know, I think probably one of the most hurtful or devastating things that can happen in a friendship, and I've had this happen to me many times, um, I remember a lady one time I worked side by side in ministry with and she told me, I don't know, she told me one day, she said, Susan, I'd walk on glass for you. I was like, wow, that's pretty, that's pretty bold. I don't think I'd walk on glass for anybody. And then two weeks later, she took that glass and stabbed me in the back. It was a very devastating time. And they, you've, we've all had that. We've all had people that we thought that loved us and we loved them. We had a great relationship and for no apparent reason, they turn their backs on you and stab you in the back. But not Timothy. He was genuine. He was sincere. He was not a hypocrite. In fact, they tell us Timothy was probably in his early 30s at this time when Paul wrote this epistle. And yet he was very experienced in the character of being sincere, being without hypocrisy. And not only that, but Paul goes on to mention a fifth quality of Timothy. He says he is as a son with the father. In other words, Timothy manifested the same spirit that a son would with his father. And so this is the fifth quality that you want to look for in a friend. The same spirit that a son has with a father. Now you might say, what are you talking about? Well, we've all heard the phrase like father, like son, right? In fact, I've seen that in my own son's relationship with his dad. In fact, sometimes when Charles calls me, 
If I didn't know better, I would think it was my husband's voice. Uh, they walk alike. In fact, he has a son also named Jackson. And sometimes I look at the two of them and I'm like, they're the spitting image of each other. And a true friend will have a spirit of a son with a father. And you might say, well, what does that mean? Well, it means you respect what your friend says and you listen as a son would with a father. In fact, my son is almost 40 and yet I, I mean, I know he loves and respects me. I don't doubt that at all. But I do know that my son loves and respects his father far more. In fact, uh, next year, they're both pastors. Next year, they're going on a study break together. Now, my son's never asked me to go on a study break with him. And uh, he does respect his father. And he calls his father and asks questions and gets his advice. Ladies, a true friend will listen. They'll respect you just like a son does a father. 1 Corinthians 4.17 says, For this reason I've sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord. In 1 Timothy 1.2, he calls him a true son. So ladies, we can see Paul had the affection for Timothy like he would a son, and Timothy had that type of affection for Paul like he would a father. And isn't it interesting, Timothy's real father was not a Christian. He was a Greek. And so uh, it's like the Lord provided a spiritual father for Timothy, even though he did not have a spiritual father in his own father. And so I think this should also give us hope as mothers and grandmothers that God will provide. If your husband's an unbeliever, uh, your, God will provide that spiritual uh, father that you might need for your son. Well, the sixth and final quality of a biblical friendship, according to the text, Serving together in the gospel. Paul says this, he served with me in the gospel. The word served here means a servant. Um, It comes from the Greek word doulos, which means to be in the position of a servant and act accordingly. Ladies, listen very carefully. Timothy was a slave, not to Paul, but to the Lord. He was a slave to the Lord. And the serving here indicates a very close companionship and notice their relationship was not based on golf or fishing or hunting even though those are fine things but notice what it's based on the gospel they serve together with the gospel for the gospel that's the good news of the kingdom salvation through christ he served with paul in the gospel which would indicate a very close companionship In fact, this is very close to what Paul says in verse 5 of chapter 1 regarding the Philippians. Remember, their fellowship was in the gospel. And we know that Paul was in prison because he defended the gospel and he hoped to further the gospel by being there in prison. Ladies, the gospel is the reason why the church at Philippi and Timothy were so dear to Paul's heart. And I would say this quality of a friend is the most important serving together in the gospel because without the common denominator of the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel message, there's really no, there's no basis for a deep intimate friendship if you both are not born again Christians. And I would encourage you to choose your friends based on this character. In fact, in my life, I have noticed the, the women that I serve side by side uh, in the ministry with, for the most part, are the ones that are my dearest friends. And uh, I'm sure you could say that for yourself as well.
Well, Paul ends this section regarding Timothy with verses 23 and 24. He says, Him therefore I hope to send shortly, or send presently, as soon as I will see how it will go with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself will come shortly. Paul wanted to see the Philippian believers himself, but he'd probably have to send Timothy instead. And he says, I hope to send him. He'll be my substitute. He will replace me. As soon as I know of the Romans' decision after my trial, in fact, the words at once indicate that Paul would send Timothy the same hour or at once. As soon as I find out if judgment is going to be pronounced or not on me. And then Paul ends by saying, I do trust in the Lord that I myself will be able to come shortly. Uh, Paul was confident he would be able to see them again. In fact, uh, biblical evidence points to the fact that Paul did get out of prison this time. He did get to go and see the church at Philippi at least one more time, according to church history. And the hope or trust that Paul had was the same as verse 19. I hope in the Lord that I will get to see you one more time. So what are the six qualities or definitions of a friend, according to the text here? One who has a servant's heart, one who is a soulmate, one who's selfless, one who's sincere, one who has a spirit of a son with a father, and lastly, one who serves or shares together with you in the gospel. Do you have a friend like that? Or maybe a better question is, are you that kind of a friend to someone else? William Channing once said, Other blessings may be taken away, but if we have acquired a good friend by goodness, we have a blessing which improves in value when others fail. It is even heightened by suffering. In fact, another quote that's more simplistic says this, Friendship divides our grief and doubles our joy. In closing... It is said that sometime between the year of 1740 and 1800, there lived a man named John Fawcett, and his wife was named Mary. And at the age of 26, John and Mary began their ministry at a little church, a little Baptist church in England. And after seven years of serving there uh, with a very meager income, they decided to take a bigger church in London. And naturally, the pay would be more, and they needed the money. And so the wagons were loaded, and they were ready to go, and they were saying goodbye to their congregation. And John was crying, and Mary was crying, and Mary finally burst out. And she said, John, I can't bear to leave. I don't know how to go. To which he said, I can't either. We're going to stay here with our people. So they unloaded the wagons, and John and Mary continued their faithful ministry in the little village for 54 years with a salary of less than $200 a year. And you might say, why would they do such a thing? Mary said this, We just can't break the ties of affection that bind us to you, dear friends. And so it was said that her husband John wrote many hymns and poems and became actually quite a writer. And King George III was so impressed with him that he promised him any benefit he wanted, to which John declined and said, Nope, I've lived among my own people, enjoying their love. God has blessed my labors among them, and I don't need anything, not even what a king could give me. And so John decided to express his feelings in a poem about the value of Christian friendship. And don't worry, I'm not going to sing it for you. But uh, I was hoping we could sing it, but we didn't get it done in time. But I want to read the words from this hymn. And as I do, think about true biblical friendship. Think about Paul Timothy. 
or think about a friend you have that meets these biblical qualifications. Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. Before our Father's throne, we pour our ardent prayers, our hopes, our fears, our aims are one, our comforts and our cares. We share each other's woes, our mutual burdens bear, and often for each other flows the sympathizing tear. When we asunder part, it gives us inward pain, but we shall be joined in heart and hope to meet again. This glorious hope revives our courage by the way, while each in expectation lives and longs to see the day. From sorrow, toil, and pain, and sin we shall be free, and perfect love and friendship reign throughout eternity. Thank you for your time and your attention. I do pray the Lord will use these messages to help you be faithful in your trials, help you be faithful in your speech, your obedience, and in your friendships. Let's pray as we close. Father, thank you so much for biblical friends. I thank you for my husband who certainly has been this type of a friend to me. I thank you for my children. Thank you for Debbie. I thank you for other women that have been friends. I think of the two ladies that disciple me, Carolyn and Fonda. Lord, how you have um, brought them into my life to be the kind of a friend that Timothy was to Paul and Paul to Timothy. And Father, I pray we as women would be so careful to pick our friends carefully. I know that your son had Peter, James, and John as his closest companions, and there was a reason for that. So, Lord, help us to be wise. It's interesting that Judas was not one of his closest, and yet he still tried to help him. And so, Lord, I do pray that um, you would help us to be faithful in this faithless world that we live in, faithful in our obedience and our tongues, our trials and also our friendships and lord in everything we need to be faithful in everything so give us the grace that we need and lord if we don't meet in this life again then i pray that you'll help us to be faithful until we meet on the other side whenever that is help us to be steadfast unmovable always abounding in your work for christ's sake and his glory amen